Hey everybody, this is Sir First Class David Hutchison with Octa LA, uh, also the Army Entertainment Office. We are here with the Joe Talks Presents, and for today's Joe Talks, we are speaking with the Commander and First Sergeant of the Light Fighter School at Fort Drum in upstate New York. And they're going to talk to us about all the great opportunities that uh, not only the 10th Mountain Division has, but uh, all the services from really probably around the globe are able to attend these schools and really get some get some amazing training opportunities. And so with that, uh, Captain Felix, if you can take it away. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's a privilege to be on the show. I appreciate you guys reaching out. Um, again, uh, I'm Captain Felix, uh, call sign Life Fighter 6. Uh, to my right, your guys' left, it's, uh, it's uh, first start in Ireland. Um, he's Life Fighter 7. Um, and we are uh, in charge of the troop school for the 10th Mountain Infantry Division, um, which is a nominative position. Um, and, you know, anyone that's selected for the position is um, KD complete, uh, meaning um, that whatever position they need to be in, um, they obviously need to perform well. And then based off that you know performance, they're then nominated uh, through an interview process with the commanding general uh, and the, uh, the DCGO to become a, a member of the team. Um, and then, you know, the same thing for my counterpart for the first sergeant position, they, they uh, perform well, and then they're interviewed and nominated by the command sergeant major of the division, uh, as well as a, a board of sergeant majors. Um, but that's, that's, you know, enough for the, the leadership piece. Um, <clears throat> as far as life fighter school goes, uh, the identity of the schoolhouse has changed um, throughout history, um, and it's it's all been uh, centered around being operationally relevant. Uh, so, with GWAT um, kind of slowing down, um, you know, and with the new commanding general, uh, General Beagle, uh, he has a huge focus on uh, you know being good at a few things, and you know, one of them being being able to shoot, move, and communicate in the cold, as the 10th Mountain Division is right. Uh, so we, we look back at our, our origins as an organization, you know, back to the Alpine days um, or, you know, back to the Pando days when uh, 10th Mountain was known as the Pando Commandos and, and look at it. What do we need to do um, to, to get back to that? And we do a lot of things in the division like the D-Series competition, um, which, if you don't know, is, is something going back to um, the, the Pando division um, in Pando, Colorado. Uh, where we trained and certified our organization as a division in cold weather. Uh, and we do that still here, um, but it, it's more of a competition. Uh, but going back to what the division, uh, what Life Fire School brings to the division is, is again, training and certifying leaders in the priorities on, on, on what is operationally relevant at the time. Currently, right now, Life Fire School offers um, historically, like as always, a, a pre-ranger course um, because General Beagle feels it's very important uh, to continuously produce rangers uh, across the formation. Um, we also have a uh, rifle marksmanship instructor course where Fort Bend in Georgia has, has given us the privilege of coming and validating a marksmanship course um, and it's strictly for the, the M4A1 rifle uh, where we, we train and certify leaders um, 
on the new dot 40 qualification, uh, which has changed historically from the last qualification that we have done. Um, and it's, it's drastically different. Uh, so we, we identified as, as a culture that we needed to go back to the books and go back to the basics and really identify um, how do we how do we get after the, the new qualifications? Because if, if you haven't done it, um, you know, it requires, you know, transition in positions, changing the magazines, barrier shoots. Um, and then now historically where service members were can, you know, not purposely shoot the 300 meter target and still qualify expert. That is no longer the case. So service members are having to have a, a very good group zero out to 300 meters to qualify expert on their weapon system. And as you know, that trickles down into everything, um, specifically E3B. And then, you know, it's, that's, and, you know, E3B for, and that's for people that don't know is the EIB, ESB, and EFMB. They all require an expert qualification uh, to compete. Um, and then they go through Sir, something. Can you, can you give an explanation of each of those? Because you got some, so for the audience, you know, let's break down the alphabet soup a little bit. No, absolutely. So, so 10th Mountain um, is kind of spearheading in a, a new culture of uh, what we're calling right now E3B. Uh, so EIB, or the Expert Infantry Badge, is a um, certification, if you will, of individual level tasks. Um, and that require that a service member is able to do uh, 80% on the uh, APFT, right? So you have 80% on your push-ups, your sit-ups, you have a four mile run, uh, you're able to do land navigation both day and night and find four out of five points given to you. Um, shoot expert on your assigned weapon system um, for the infantryman is the M4A1 uh, and then be able to do 12 miles in under a three hour time um, with a 35 pound load, um, a flick uh, carrying like magazines, uh, immediate water source weapon system, helmets, uh, eye pro and gloves. Um, and then uh, the EIB specifically is broken up into um, three lanes. You have a weapons lane, a patrol lane, and a medical lane. And within those lanes, average between 10 and 12 different tasks um, that range from specifically in weapons lane, assembling, dis disassembling um, weapon systems, clearing malfunctions, um, you know, and then going into patrol lanes where we talk about the just principles of patrolling an individual individual soldier level tasks, such as operating night vision, um, into individual movement techniques. So bounding uh, while receiving fire uh, that's simulated by blanks, um, being able to identify, uh, throw a grenade uh, and hit a grenade within a certain lethal radius, um, which is five meters um, for the EIB standard. Um, and, uh, uh, and, and camouflage, like being able to apply camouflage to the face, to the equipment, um, all, you know, basic, uh, fundamental tasks, but easily forgotten if not practiced. And then the medical lane, which some would argue is extremely important, um, where we go over basic things like, uh, treating, uh, like the Heimlich maneuver, and then it gets as complicated all the way up to as treating a gunshot wound um, to a lung and how to treat a soldier for a collapsed lung and a uh, chest compression wound. Uh, and then, and that is just EIB. When a soldier completes EIB um, and he'll usually end and it changes, um, ends with the 12 mile road march, uh, he then does the, the M4 task 
Uh, and then upon the M4 task being assemble, uh, reassemble, disassemble, uh, clear, clear a malfunctions check. Um, and, uh, and then once that is complete within a certain amount of time, without error, um, he is then awarded the, uh, the EIB badge, which is what I wear here at the top. Um, and that is assigned for 11 Bravo series, or 11 series, I'm sorry. Um, for all the other MOSs, uh, it's the same thing. Um, except it's the uh, ESB. The only difference, I believe, is the uh, the physical fitness portion where they conduct an ACFT uh, instead of the the APFT. Um, they do not do the uh, the four mile run; it's the two mile run instead. Uh, and then EFMB is specifically to the medical corps, uh, where medics and combat medics um, are uh, do these similar tasks, but it's all centered around is a heavy medical piece, um, as it should be. Uh, where they test the proficiency of those medics in different medical tasks. But ultimately, they all conduct a 12-mile road march, uh, and we found we kind of cracked the code on how do we do all three at the same time um, and then be able to execute that and award those to, you know, across the soldiers in the division, uh, which has been very successful. Uh, but that's that's the three broken down. Um, <clears throat> for uh, back to the marksmanship course piece, uh, so that's not just the, the rifle marksmanship course that we offer. Uh, we also offer a uh, machine gun leaders course, which is for your low density MOSs, uh, where we teach them to uh, disassemble, reassemble, uh, kind of conduct the basic maintenance. Uh, and then we do a familiar, familiarization fire for those weapon systems in a 10 day period. Um, and that is just, again, getting the experience uh, to those soldiers and leaders that don't um, regularly do those things. Um, and then they're able to go and then train the trainer, if you will, go back to their formations and teach your soldiers how to take care of the weapon systems and the equipment that's assigned to them. Uh, and then finally, we have the, the AGLC or the Assault Gun Leaders course, which is uh, designed for your 11 series, uh, where uh, it's a good course for an organic weapon squad to attend, weapon squad leader, um, AGs, ABs, uh, and gunners, um, or just leaders in general that you see in the future becoming uh, an, a, uh, an AG or a weasel. Um, and they apply, they practice, they're taught and applied the machine gun theory. Um, I mean, from soup to nuts, uh, we teach them how to occupy support by fire, the purpose of the support by fire, um, you know, grazing fire, uh, the importance of, of getting within that 15 degrees for suppression so that you maximize um, suppression on the objective or you lead with lead, if you will, protecting the infantrymen as they close with and destroy the enemy. Um, and we teach people how to do that and do that very well. Um, and then, uh, so that's the marksmanship piece that we offer, uh, our, our ASI producing courses are assault, uh, I'm sorry, is there our air assault and, um, repel master. Uh, so air assault, um, as, as the name is given is a 10 day course, uh, where soldiers are tested, uh, both physically, um, in a four mile run, uh, obstacle course, six mile road march, 12 mile road march. And um, and uh, sling load testing, um, fundamental knowledge on, on aircraft, uh, you know, aircraft capacity, both for, you know, troop carrying and for uh, carrying weights for sling load operations, how to control and speak to aircraft. And then finally, everyone's favorite part, repelling. Um, we do that both from the tower, which is a 40 foot tower down to the uh, to the aircraft itself. So the, the last day of the POI MOI is conducting repelling operations from an aircraft. It's everyone's favorite course. 
you get a really cool badge here, which is the, the helicopter with the wings. Um, but essentially, uh, with us being 10th Mountain Division and being a light infantry division, it, we are teaching the force how to get from point A to point B uh, and the importance of the, the, the cab or the aviation side uh, with rotoring, if you will, uh, in the light fight. Um, Rappel Master is the, uh, I would say, is kind of like the graduate level of, of air assault, not quite like Pathfinder, um, but it is a leader's course. Um, the requirements to even attend uh, uh, Rappel Master is that you are a ranger, sapper, or mountain warfare out of Jericho um, course certified, uh, or you're air assault certified, and you are corporal. Uh, that is, uh, you know, 4187 signed by the commander stating that you are going to wear corporal stripes instead of being a specialist, um, but corporal and above. Um, and then we teach uh, the, the leaders in that formation how to properly rig a, a tower, the proper knots to use for repelling operations for a tower, how to properly rig an aircraft for repelling operations, the different types of repelling operations, including the Aussie repel and the standard repellers. Uh, and we do that both slick um with basic equipment which is flick and weapon and then finally full combat load which is helmet kit um which is your iotv or your bulletproof vest rucksack um which will teach them how to properly prepare for repel operations and then finally um you know and we'll do that both at the tower and in aircraft uh and then finally we teach the the students the rmpi process or the repel master inspection process rm i'm sorry yeah personnel inspection process um, the the uh, the importance of that is leaders identifying um, faults or flaws uh, in Swiss seats or rigging equipment um, that could be do um, or that can be identified as unsafe um, or you know even lethal in repelling operations um, and it, essentially because it is a very dangerous operation if you're not careful especially when you start loading equipment um, but help leaders identify those flaws and be able to, to stop uh, fix them. Um, before the operation even starts. Uh, and uh, that is a five-day course, um, but it's, uh, I believe it's a necessary course. Uh, and then that is the, the ASI producing courses we offer. And then finally, um, our own flavor uh, to physical fitness, we offer the, uh, the mall or the Mountain Athlete Warrior course. Because um, we identified as a division, um, and this was, we, we created this course uh, when General Townsend was the commanding general of 10th Mountain because um, he identified that there was leaders in the formation that didn't know how to properly conduct physical fitness. And it's quite a challenge, especially here in the winter months um, where we get, you know, an average between six and eight months of winter. Um, as you know, uh, you have to be creative with physical fitness uh, to, to maintain the standard and, and be able to, to fight on to the range of objectives. So we, uh, we created a course to validate leaders and train them uh, on how to create a SMART goal uh, whatever that SMART goal is, because we identify that every MOS is different um, and every MOS requires a different physical fitness readiness level. Um, so uh, we teach them SMART goals, how to assess soldiers' uh, flexibility, uh, mobility, um, physical strength, speed, agility, uh, and then create a training plan uh, based off of that. We teach them how to re read a profile. Uh, we get H2F involved in their H2F reps or the uh, holistic health and fitness teams. Um, that have been recently pushed out um, to the divisions. Um, how to, uh, you know, to tie them in into that training plan for physical fitness. Uh, we get the dietitians to come out and and how to teach people, you know, based off of what we eat on a day-to-day -day basis, both in the defect and in the field, 
um, what is necessary and what is like things that you can, you know, that's not good for you. Um, that way to maintain that, that physical readiness, um, both, you know, in an operational environment and, and in garrison. Um, we, we do a lot of things, really good course. Um, and, and the mall, the mall cadre, um, what makes them a, a little bit uh, ahead of the curve is that all of our mall cadre are MFT, our master fitness trainer, uh, which is the army certification, physical fitness, uh, certified. And they're also TSACF or tactical strength and conditioning, um, certified. And that's a civilian accreditation, um, to teach physical fitness. So they're, they're, they're subject matter experts on both the civilian side and in the army side. Um, and they're a huge combat multiplier. Um, and, uh, uh, they, they conduct their course in, uh, we have a new training facility, a national training facility, which is about, about, I would say 20 ACFT lanes, but it's a capability for the 10th mountain to conduct the ACFT indoors at a mass level. And we're able to support a battalion at a time, uh, in that facility. And we also teach, um, the, the mall course in, in that facility. So it's, uh, we, we give a lot back to the division. Um, on top of, you know, LPDs, and um, we do have archives of, of the Mountain Warfare course and Arctic Warfare course. So we do teach LPDs on how to properly wear the, uh, the Arctic uniform um, in different settings and different level of, of the, uh, the Gore-Tex and, and, and the, uh, the different levels of, of just the, the winter wear of the uniform. So uh, that's kind of a, a you know, a roll up of, of what uh, Light Fighter School offers. Awesome. And so can you talk about, so, uh, how large is your, is your community, your, your, um, you know, your band of instructors and everything, and then kind of how many, how many students you have come through each year? Okay. Oh, uh, well, it, it, it ranges, um, with the operational environment, sir. Um, so we are a, like between 30 and 33 man company. Um, the Rangers have six instructors, Mall has between three and five, and then Air Assault has our most. Um, right now they're between eight and 10. Um, and all have their, and, and the marksmanship, they have five. And all the reason is is the, uh, the MOI, POI, and what we can support uh, at one time. So the uh, starting off with marksmanship, we can support uh, up to 22 soldiers at a time uh, to run through the course. Uh, and we get an average, um, we usually fill those courses up throughout the year, um, but we train somewhere between, uh, you know, 100 and 150 soldiers uh, a year in, in in different marksmanship courses. So around the marksmanship center by itself, probably around 450 soldiers um, between AGLC, MGLC, and, R and ARMIC. For air assault, we just increased the, uh, the output, where now we can support up to 120 soldiers per class. Um, and so this, this year, uh, we're projected to train somewhere with 10 courses for the fiscal year 22. Uh, we plan on training somewhere between uh, 900 and 1,000 soldiers um, for air assault. Uh, for Repel Master, uh, we're only, we usually teach it only four or five times a year. Um, and so we take about 30 to 40. Um, and so we, you know, somewhere around there, um, fiscal year on average, we, we train between 140, 150 soldiers a year. Uh, and then with Rangers, uh, it's it's a little bit different. Uh, so with 18 Airborne Corps, we are dedicated 10 slots, but we usually get our fill of whatever we need. Um, but uh, it ranges. Uh, I think we've so far we've produ produced, um, or we've sent, sorry, uh, between 80 and 90 
um, 10th Mountain Division soldiers to Ranger School. Um, we've gotten about about 30 Rangers back. So, um, and that, uh, I believe that's, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's all the, oh, sorry, Mall. Uh, mall, we, we can take up to 30 soldiers uh, as our, our capacity. Um, and then uh, this last class, we averaged between 15 and 20 uh, per class. Um, and they do about 15 courses a year. Um, it's only a five-day course. Um, so uh, doing some, some public math here. Uh, but uh, we, we, we train somewhere between 400 and 500 soldiers a year. The last year was a little bit different. Um, we had a, a little bit more priority with annual training guidance and a push with H2F and mall. So we ended up training between 1,000 and 1,500 soldiers last year alone. Uh, but this year is, is, is a little bit slower. Um, with H2F now kind of picking up the capability and uh, kind of filling that gap um, before, before you know, Maul was doing it, so. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's, you know, I, I would say that probably people in California would have a hard time understanding how important having an uh, indoor facility is to do the ACFT. Um, but, you know, having been at Fort Drum before, you know, that is, you know, that's a game changer. That, you know, that completely changes the you know, you're, you're being able to uh, assess the, uh, assess the force, right? Um, yeah, no, I mean, it's, as you know, um, I mean, it, the winters here can be pretty harsh. I think like sometimes we can get down to like between negative 10, negative 15 degrees. And then, you know, at that temperature, you know, your oxygen, you know, starts crystallizing. And then if you're breathing that in, it can be pretty harmful, you know, for full-time exposure. Um, so it's very important um, that we do have some form of indoor training facilities because, um, you know, at, at that at that temperature, that exposure, you're talking like soldiers can only be outdoors between 30 and 45 minutes before they actually start, you know, actually being injured from the cold. Uh, and then, you know, amongst other things, frostbite, um, you know, uh, colds uh, and, and cold casualties, you uh, know, it all plays a plays a huge uh, role in, in how we train and what we do. Um, so we yeah we try to do our best to to sustain the force uh, you know long term wise, uh, and and these indoor facilities really help us uh, enable that. Um, even some of our ranges are are designed to do that as well, where they have the overhead covering and heaters. Um, that way soldiers can can just you know be able to shoot comfortably um, even with cold weather gear on. Uh, this is pretty miserable trying to do it without without some form of shelter. Um, but but yeah, that's it's awesome. Hey, uh, first, sorry, maybe you can hit on this a little bit, but, you know, in in the courses, what what is it that, that you see as the part that that, you know, is the is the main obstacle that people have to overcome? And, you know, every, everything that you're talking about is really, you know, uh, strength, strengthen the force for for battle. Right. Uh, what is what is it, uh, you know, whether it's uh, physical or mental, you know, that that seems to be the commonality. Uh, across the board uh so the commonality between each of the uh individual uh classes that we teach and, and in troop troop schools in general uh it's a captivated audience in my opinion uh so when you talk about troop schools why would you need it it's not that this uh tacit knowledge doesn't exist in the ranks it's a it's just not captivated enough so uh obviously there's very good marksmen in the brigades right now um but depending on where they're at within the uh, training progression you never get them in the same spot to teach uh, a certain amount of people. 
uh, we have here who are very passionate about marksmanship, about the ranger force, about air assault and repelling and, and about fitness. And to be able to, to let these guys uh, have that captivated audience to you know, a scheduled block of time uh, with the resources available, uh, it's really unlimited to unlimited to, to what these guys can achieve uh, and gals. Uh, it, I, I'd say that's the number one detriment to uh, to the uh, units, and, and that's kind of like what we're here to alleviate. Uh, we provide the opportunities, uh, the uh, all the ammo is planned out, all the ranges are are provided. Uh, everything's done uh, and coordinated by us and through us. Yeah, I, I, this probably, I, you know, it's. I know that there's, uh, it's. A challenge to step up and be above your peers uh, in an organization is something completely different when you go to a place where you're now with all the other people that have stepped out above their peers uh, and then you're in a competitive environment or you know a training environment uh, it's got to be a you know a different mindset as it puts you in a different ball game yeah I mean absolutely but I think that the difference you know between like competitiveness and then passion, right? It's, it's like it, it, no one's no one's here because they they want to perform well. Everyone everyone's here because they have a passion to do what they want to do. Uh, and that's what first round was trying to say. Is just like my my mall instructors, like they all average between you know five ninety nines and six hundreds on the ACFT. They're extremely fit, um, and it's because they have a passion for physical fitness. They wake up at zero four, they do PT, they crush it. And then they do it again at 0630 with the students to show what leadership looks like and leading from the front. Um, you know, the, the ranger instructors here, I mean, they put every hour of every day that they have with those students, teaching them everything they know um, from, you know, just basic stuff about weapon systems to, to teaching guys how to pitch an op order. Um, I mean, it just, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's almost like I have to drive my cadre out to be like, hey, you guys have families and a personal life. You guys got to go do that. Um, and they do it kicking and screaming because they just truly care and have a passion uh, to make the organization better. Um, and then the same thing with Aerosol. Um, you know, a lot of the the POI MOI right is is provided to us by by the Infantry Schoolhouse by by Tradoc or MCOE, who you know, however we get it, or whoever validates us at that time. But the things that we do to make the course better and, and make them fun, um, like the Aussie Repel, right? It's not a requirement, but students enjoy it. The cadre enjoy it. So. They take the extra time to validate it and to make it safe um, and, and provide that to the students as an experience. Um, I mean, we you'd, you'd be shocked. I had a major that went through with uh, Cadet Command um, that was just, he pulled me pulled me in the cadre side and he goes, I've been wanting to do an Aussie repel since I was a, a, a kid in college, you know, and I got to finally do it here after my 10, 12 years in the Army. Um, and we just we just offer an environment where people can can safely fail um, people can learn a lot and, and invest in themselves. Uh, and then same thing with the cadre, uh, you know, to, to keep them competitive with their peers. Uh, you know, heck, you know, uh, the NCO Academy and, 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 um, and HQDA has been really helping us out trying to get the instructor badges for our, for our soldiers, for our leaders. Um, so all, everything, all the hours that they put into the students are being logged um, and, and being put on their record. Uh, so when they go back out to the force, it's not just a staff sergeant who's not been on the line for a year, two years, but staff sergeant who's instructed thousands of hours of courses across thousands of soldiers uh, is coming to your back to your force, you know, very educated, uh, very well spoken and, and prepared to train the soldiers.
Awesome. Can you explain what an Aussie rappel is? Yes. So standard rappel, uh, you know, you're facing the, the obstacle or the terrain that you're rappelling off of. Uh, your brake hand is on the small of your back. Uh, and then you have a guide hand that's in, in the front kind of guiding the rope in front of you. And you're falling backwards, right? So your back is towards the ground, if you will. Um, and it's and is easier, especially when you're carrying a large amount of weight um, where the center of gravity is, is towards the direction that you're traveling. So it's easier to control. Uh, and that is the standards uh, and the safest way we do our repelling operations, both aircraft and tower. Um, for an, an Aussie repel, you do it face first. So you're almost like running down facing the ground um, where your brake hands now across your chest. Um, and uh, it also serves as your guide hand. Um, the, the difference between the, uh, the Aussie repel is and the, and the regular repel is the standard repel does, can, does not allow you to um, pull security, if you will, right? You, you don't have a way to pull your weapon out and kind of being able to suppress an objective or secure the direction you're traveling versus an Aussie repel, when you're doing it off of uh, restrictive terrain or a wall or a building allows you um, with, your, with your firing hand and then your non-firing hand um, performing as the brake or the guide for the rope allows you to utilize your weapon system, not very accurately, but at least to you know, a degree where you can cover the direction that you're traveling. Um, however, if you do it on an open side, uh, you're, you're just falling, you know, head first, uh, and you can't really perform too much security. Um, so the Aussie repel, at least I think, you know, in, in good practice in terms and traveling and restricted terrain is good doing it on off of a rock face or a building. Uh, that way you have some form of stabilization to utilize your weapon system while traveling down. Um, but again, you cannot do the Aussie repel with your rucksack. So there, there's, there's, you know, the gives and takes, you can probably send one or two guys down with a weapon to secure wherever you're going. Uh, and then like, you know, everyone else can come with the gear immediately following. Um, but the guys that you send down to an Aussie are not going to be carrying a rucksack on their back. They can't, it's just, you know, they're putting all that weight on their back as they're traveling down. Um, it can be very uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, as far as your, um, curriculum, you know, in the different courses that you offer, um, what is the what is the think tank and what you know how do you come up with what the needs of the army are you know who's who is the group of individuals that gets together and says you know this this is what we really need you, you brought up general townsend uh and you know he brought some concerns up and and you basically found so the light fighter school brought a, a solution to the table with it um does that happen often or is that to happen all the time what is what is the process um, so as far as POI, MOIs and determining what the light fighter school offers, well, I'll say on a, on a, on a yearly basis, um, um, or really it stems from the commanding general and the command sergeant major, right? They, they create something called an annual training guidance where they write a, a white paper, if you will, uh, stating their priorities for the organization. Like, Hey, these are my top priorities, right? Um, and then based of, off of that, right, in the top priorities, they then, it's almost like a think tank between, you know, the SAR majors, you know, the, uh, the brigade commanders, you know, and they, and they get that, get their feelers out there and be like, hey, what, what do we want to be known for? What do we want to be good at? And how can we align that with where I see this organization going, right? And it, and it, and it changes between commanding general and command SAR majors. 
And then once they identify what that's going to look like or some form of vision um, or intent, uh, you know, and then it's it's then a, a touch point of, you know, we sit down in the office with the commanding general, and command sergeant major, and he goes, hey, this is my vision for the life fighter school. And this is what I want to be good at um, as a division. What can what can we create and do based off of that um, to 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 facilitate, you know, the operational environment for 10th Mountain? Um, this year, uh, sitting down with Command Sergeant Major Tyrannis, uh, he he was like, "Hey, I, I want air assault. I want a lot of it, right?" And there's there's multiple reasons for it, right? Because we have we can have our you know our, our NATO partners come to attend this course. We can have our our partner forces come and attend this course, right? Our Marines, our Air Force, and it's kind of like a bargaining chip, if you will, right? The more people that come to our schools, you know, and they get their badges, okay, well then you know what can you do for 10th Mountain Division after that? Um, not only that, I mean, it's also like a uh, a um, a, uh, a reenlistment tool or, you know, just a retention tool that soldiers want to wear, you know, cool badges uh, on their uniform uh, and they're proud of it because they work hard for it. Um, and, and a lot of soldiers want that want that that chance and that ability to do it. So uh, and he, he identified that, like, hey, this is what's going to keep soldiers coming to 10th Mountain Division. Um, the, the other thing is, is, is we look at is, is what are we not good at, right? We train to our weaknesses. Uh, that way we're a better force. Um, you know, the, the DOT 40 qualification has been out for a while now. It's about a year. But, um, you know, and there's, there's progression tables, but, you know, based off of the, the training regulation and how we achieve the standard. Um, but we have leaders um, that have not been exposed to that, that training progression. And the only people that have are like brand new soldiers coming out of basic training. Um, so we have to go back to the books, back to the basics. Um, and, and, and we have to get good at the basics before we can train for the test. Uh, and so it's, I, I, um, it's just, you know, that based off of, you know, the feedback, the brigade commanders, like, Hey, we're just not good at shooting M4s. Okay. Well, let's create a course where that's what we train is how to properly shoot the M4. Uh, and then, you know, uh, and so, uh, this year specifically go back to that, that meeting when general, uh, with, uh, command Sergeant major, uh, Tyrannis, uh, he wanted Rangers. He wanted a lot of aerosol, uh, and then he wanted his formation to shoot very well. That those those were the big the big three, right? Um, historically, we we did the 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 PT thing, um, which uh, we still do, uh, and and offer that to to the formation. But there was another thing we offered, which was the mountain warfare slash Arctic warfare course. Um, that he was like, you know what? I think I think my brigades can own that. Um, and and so we started opening the gate to to send soldiers to Jericho um in, in in vermont and and go to the mountain warfare course there uh to to bring that 10th mountain and that mountain tough identity back um and so you know we kept it simple because you know historically we've had such a small team uh and with that small team we have to have very um specific focuses um that way we can be good at those things because i mean we can we can create a bunch of courses a bunch of pre everythings um but ultimately it's like you know are we going to be just a little bit good at everything or are we going to focus on a few things and be extremely good at them? Um, and, and those were the things that, like, Sergeant Major Trans was like, I want Rangers, I want the air assault capability, and uh, I, want, I want my soldiers to be able to shoot very well. So um, that's, that's kind of how, how that went. Uh, I don't know if that answers the question. No, no, it does. Uh, and and uh, I think, could you explain what light infantry means versus regular infantry absolutely um so uh so light infantry um you know 
in, in short terms, right, is, is, is your feet are how you get from point A to point B, unless you can get a ride from somebody else, right? So like an aircraft, if you will, like if we can get on a, a C-130 um, or if we can get on a, a Chinook or a Black Hawk, like that's how we get to the fight. Uh, if we don't have a vehicle um, given to us from an outside organization, we're walking uh, regardless of the distance, regardless of the temperature, regardless of the weather. Um, we're walking from point A to point B. And so it's very important, the physical aspect um, and the logistical aspect on, on how we do everything, because we, we essentially carry everything on our back. Um, I mean, and, and it, it gets extremely heavy when you start talking about uh, winter, winter packing list, you know, an average between 70 and 80 pounds. Uh, and, and then the reconnaissance side even more because they got to carry the reconnaissance equipment. Um, and then that's light infantry is, is being able to, you know, pick up heavy things and going from point A to point B for a very long time. Um, the, uh, and then some of the, some of the things that we're kind of focusing now as a division is like the, the 25 milers, um, we're, we're training to have very deliberate thought in our packing lists and what we carry to survive, um, putting on the rocks, uh, and, and, and then moving out and then being able to fight when we get there. So we'll, we'll do this 25 miler movement and then they'll give us a mission like, Hey, you need to conduct an attack on X, Y, Z and be able to do that after a 25 miler. Um, and we're talking tactical 25 milers. So a very long, very deliberate operation, eight to 10 hour movements. Um, and it's, it's a whole other world, uh, versus if you talk mech or armor infantry, uh, armor infantry being, uh, you know, tanks, right. Where they, where they have a ride, um, and they're very, uh, reliant on a vehicle or mech infantry. Uh, I came from a striker background when I was a platoon leader. I was very reliant on my striker. We put our rucksack, we, we put what we were carrying or what our equipment on the side of that striker. Um, and then that vehicle took us to where we needed to go. Um, and then we, we, we established a, a attack point or a checkpoint or a dismount point. And we got off from that dismount point and then we executed the operation that we needed. But nowhere were we walking 25 miles to get to where we need to go. Um, or we had to put, you know, a deliberate thought of, oh, man, do I take three MREs? And, uh, and, and a gallon of water, or do I bring it down and I take half a gallon of water, two MREs, and I bring my woolly blanket instead? You know, just, you know, just that deliberate thought process. Being in mech and armor, I didn't have to worry about that. It was, hey, just throw it on the vehicle and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get to it. I'll pull out what I need when I get there. Um, just a little bit different. Yeah. And then with the courses, I'm, uh, a lot of, there obviously is a lot of physicality to, to all these courses. Uh, but the the uh, mental agility and uh, the the change in, in thought process is, is a big part of these classes too as well, right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, it's it's so, so another thing that's unique um, about the Life Fire School is like we are mandated um, based off of after you know during the when fall winter hits, there's a specified packing list that we have to carry. Um, once we uh, go north of a training road called Route 26, um, once we go north of that road, we have to have a winter packing list on us because the weather here is very uh, unpredictable. There's been times where soldiers have been stranded in ranges um, because we just can't get to them because of blizzards. Uh, and they have to be able to self-sustain until vehicles can get to them. Um, so we carry a lot of our, our marshmallow suits, our, um, you know, our, our uh, Mickey Mouse boots, if you will, these big white boots. Um, that squeak when you walk uh, and they look silly and so they call them Mickey Mouse boots, but uh, they keep your feet very warm and they're very insulated. Wool socks, it's, it's, it's all winter driven. 
uh, and we apply that packing list on top of anything you need for the course uh, in all our courses, in marksmanship, in rangers, in uh, in aerosol, because we essentially got to live with that here. So we got to be comfortable and we add that flavor to our course um, by carrying that weight. Awesome. Um, I think, uh, you know, we've, we've just about hit a, a large majority uh, of our time. Do you have anything that, that you would like to add or anything that, you know, you think we skipped over? Um, no, I can't, I can't think of anything, um, except that, you know, going back to what first Sergeant said, troop schools offer a division personality, right? It, we, we can alter whatever we want to teach the formation based off what we think is important at the division level. Um, and which is, which is, I mean, it's, it's a capability that the army has always had. Um, but we don't have to wait for guidance, you know, to, to execute something like, uh, you know, oh, we need, we need more mountain, mountain warfare guys, you know, let's send them, let's start training that, you know, UAS, LPDs, PT, um, we can, we can tailor it and get it certified. And then we have like outside entities that can help us validate those courses. Um, so we can teach the formation, you know, something well put together and educated. Um, and then last, you know, last thing, sir, you know, shout out to California. I'm a, I was born in San Diego, La Mesa area. Um, you know, I got family there, so you know it's uh, again, it's an honor to, to represent, and um, uh, I'm looking forward to you know, hopefully in the future we can we can actually talk and and get all of the NCOICs per course here, and they can really dive in and deep down of 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 the intricates of their courses and how awesome they are and, and what we offer. And then so if there's there. a tenth mountain movie, what's it going to be about? <laughs> um, if it's a tenth mountain movie. Uh, it's it's probably going to be a lot of snow in there, probably some mountains, um, and then it, it's probably going to have Command Star Major Tyrannus as the main character. He's he's probably going to be the guy who's just just screaming in the middle of the blizzard, right? Just roaring. Um, he loves it. He embraces it. That mountain toughness. Um, it's it's just probably it's probably going to be you know the background music is going to be probably heavy metal, uh, a lot of it, and it's just I mean it's just going to be like the toughest like grueling thing you've ever seen. I would say the army version of Revenant. Um, but instead of Leonardo DiCaprio, it's our major Tyrannus. <laughs> First time you have anything to add? Oh, no, thanks. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Right. No movie ideas. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like the Revenant one. All right. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you uh, coming on with us and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have to, uh, I probably won't be going going through any courses, but uh, <laughs> I can appreciate from a distance. But I really appreciate y'all coming on, and uh, talk again next time.